Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for a conversation with Travis Baldry, narrator of Will White's Cradle series, author of Legends and Lattes, and its highly anticipated upcoming prequel, Bookshops and Bone Dust. Travis, it's so good to have you back. So good to be back. Uh, so every time we start one of these episodes, I always ask what the guest is reading right now. But in this case, I want to know, what are you, you are reading it technically, but what are you narrating right now? What are you reading out loud? Um, well, I'm in the middle of narrating Wasteland Warlords, which is uh, co-written by Eden Hudson and James Hunter. And I believe it was released on Royal Road first and has been converted into books. And it is very much kind of like redneck, post-apocalyptic game lit maybe i'm gonna call it like dungeon crawler carl adjacent yeah uh it's fun it's fast it's kind of like drive-in movie pulp and i'm kind of having a ball with it there's a little raccoon with a head trimmer for an arm and there's <laughs> a dragon trapped in the body of a teacup pig and it's it's wild i love it wow that sounds do awesome. you get to exercise a lot of different voices like is it is it maximizing oh, yeah. your voice oh, yeah. talent Absolutely, absolutely, and I get to uh, fall back into my my deep smouth, my original deep deep south accent, which um, I don't get to try it out very often. Which which region of the deep south is it? I was from Texas, um, but um, oh gosh, where are these guys from? I don't even remember where they're from. Um, this is this is really far in the future, so it's almost irrelevant. The the character is baked into the dialogue. <laughs> and it must be so fun to be presented with stuff that you you might not have even had any real intention of reading or you might not have even known about it. And then this is now on your plate and uh, you're engaging with it in such a different way than most pe people do engage with books. Like most people just read them silently in their heads or they have them read to them in audio form. But you're reading them out loud and processing it as you go. I mean, if you really resonate with the book, it's like the ideal way to read them because you just get the coolest version of it. Um, and I'm a big fan of Eden Hudson. Uh, Eden Hudson is great. I have read a bunch of her books. I've narrated quite a few of them. And I just love her voice. I love the way that she writes. Um, some authors just really write well for the spoken word. I think you can tell when you read it, but you can tell even more so when you actually have to perform it. It's just very effortless to do, and it's a lot of fun to read aloud. I think Stephen King's that way. Um, you can usually, I, Brandon Sanderson's very, you know, it's really pleasant to read aloud. Some authors just know how things sound. Yeah, I find it when I'm, because I'm trying to, for those who don't know, uh, I'm trying to bridge, break into the industry of audiobook narration. And I find when I'm doing the little tryouts for them, that I'm very often will think I know what the end of the sentence should be. And then I'll like keep going and I'll look down and it's not. And it's something like, maybe this is just my own hubris coming forth, but I think it's like clunkier. I'm like, that's not how people talk, you know? And it's like, like you said, it becomes very apparent that some authors just kind of know how the flow goes and how they don't. Um, so about this book, I found a cool little descriptor of it. Would you humor me? And I'm going to send this to you in the chat. Can you read this? It's a summary of the book. <laughs> In like a sweet voice. All right. In a sweet voice. It's kind of long, sorry. Whoa, dude, oh, it's so I mean, long. I just read this a couple of days ago. Perfect. Here we go. Oh, he's got practice then. Yeah, I know what this is. <clears throat> you keep what you kill. That's one law everybody out here respects. 20 years ago, the merge brought armies of monsters flooding into the West Coast. Dungeons popped up in shopping malls, airports, and Starbucks. Walls were built to contain the spread, leaving major cities like L.A., San Diego, and Phoenix uninhabitable. The infested zones became the new Wild West. 
but the promise of priceless loot dropped by the creatures inspired a new type of gold rush. Magical weapons, gear, potions, and gold. If you survive long enough to kill the mob, whatever they drop belongs to you. Clay Yeager has nothing left outside the walls. Civilization took everything he worked for, chewed it up, and spat it out. Now Clay, his wife Alex, and his beer-loving, chainsaw-toting brother Joe are going west to try their hand at monster killing. The loot from the low-level mobs is enticing, but it isn't the real reason they risked the infested zone. They need to kill a dungeon lord. Only one in 10,000 hunters pull it off. The rest become fertilizer for the wasteland. But the few who beat the odds gain riches, glory, and most importantly, the dungeon lord's magical powers. They have nothing left to lose and everything to gain, if they survive. Fantastic. Oh, that was so Live. good. <laughs> You effortless. didn't stutter Live. once. Yeah, uh, whenever, whenever Chad and I do our recaps for the books that we're reading, we have to we have this big, long, many-paragraph, uh, you know, sometimes two or 3,000-word recap. And let me tell you, the editing on both our ends is laborious, Man. to say the least. We stutter and false start so often. Well, some of that's the writing, right? It's a very... Some, some writers understand audio as they write, and it just comes across in the way the words are laid down. Also, I have just thousands and thousands of hours of practice doing this, which is also helpful. And I literally read that passage two days ago, so. How do you decide upon the voice that you're going to read as the narrator? Because you've kind of got this like, it's your voice, but you've definitely- That's my narrating it. voice. Well, it's, some of it is just the tone, like the prose of text is like background music. It's like the soundtrack of a book. And once you know, what the tone of the book is that really changes kind of the inflection. And this is very, the whole book is very kind of folksy, again, pulpy telling. So there's a certain sort of, there's a, I don't want to say like a downbeat edge, but there's just kind of like somebody telling you a story in a bar, you know, after their voice is a little rough at the end of the day. And there's just that kind of lope to it. It's a, it's a little bit Southern without actually putting on the accent that fits that kind of action. And you just kind of get used to it. And it, Word choice figures into it, like how what's the enunciation like this? This is all very drawly. There's that there's that bit of that lope to it. You just kind of you get a sense for the 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 music of a book. I mean, like if I was reading a high fantasy, I wouldn't read it that way, mm, right? Sure. Because the language wouldn't lend itself to it, and you can you can like hear the soundtrack in your head. You know, there's probably going to be some you know strings going on, and it's going to be you know this classic musical score and. You, you say it in a way that evokes that. How much of a book do you read before you decide upon that voice? Do you ever have to go back into the beginning and be like, Very I changed the little. whole thing on chapter no. five? You can tell almost immediately. And if you know the if you know the concept of the book and the vibe, you're just trying to get the vibe, right? And I think you can get the vibe of a book really, really, really quickly. Okay. Um, you can tell from just the prose style on a page. You can tell from the blurb. I mean, you read the blurb on this and you're not like, well, this is really going to be very precise you know, it's going to be very like an intellectual and they're going to use a lot of really large words. And I'm, I'm really going to have to kind of, you know, have this chilly approach. But you you know that that's not the case. You read the blurb. Anything with a raccoon with a hedge trimmer on its hand and, <laughs> you know, rednecks fighting monsters for loot. It's just, you know. I, uh, I recently read or listened to the first installment of Dungeon Crawler Carl. And the narrator. That's Jeff Hayes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I forgot about his name, but man, he did such a good job. It was so, so good. And it really like carried that whole, it made that story feel like I was only listening to it for like a few hours. Now, have you read those? I, I haven't read them. I'm aware of them and I'm in one of them. I have a bit part in number six, oh. <laughs> but I still haven't read it because I just, I just haven't had time. 
Um, and one of the unfortunate drawbacks of being an audiobook narrator and not having a commute because of that is that you can't listen to audiobooks while you work oh. or while you drive or anything mm. else. So like my audiobook listening has collapsed to nearly zero. Yeah, you were mentioning before we started recording that you, I mean, obviously you've been so busy. You've you have got your, for lack of a better word, your day job, I guess, which is we are still recording audiobooks, but you've released some, you already won best-selling book, um, which is, if you don't mind me saying and propping you up more than you're probably comfortable with, kind of defining a genre right now, in my opinion, or one of the books that's defining the genre. And now you're about to release a prequel uh, how are you feeling right now? I mean, you must be, are you feeling kind of burnt out? Are you feeling excited? This book releases in like a week. What's going on with you? Um, so it's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I've got tour for like, um, from like the 6th to the 18th, I get to travel around and do book tour, which is really fun. If anybody shows up to a book event because your book is there, it's hard not to be like, just sort of delighted with that. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. I still think that's awesome. Um, so I'm looking forward to book launch, but by the same token, I already feel like the book has kind of launched for months and months and months. It's a really weird feeling because, I mean, I, I wrote it well over a year ago and then you're kind of like done, but then arcs have been going out for, I don't know, like half a year. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, so if, I've seen like reactions and people reading it and it's, it's a very weird, like slow roll feeling to a release that I kind of wasn't prepared for because that's... I haven't, the last book didn't release that way. So I'm excited, but it's like a weird sort of like attenuated over time excitement. Do you think that it's better that way to experience? Because I'm sure you experience some of the good encouraging things like in little bits, which is great in any amount, but you also experience like any of the negative kind of in slow amounts. And it might be better than just like a hundred thousand people hearing about it from them all at once, you know, like a flood. I, I think the main advantage to it is that you get an early inkling of what release is probably going to be like. You have enough of a sample size when it's released over that period of time. You're like, oh, the Goodreads score is pretty good. And by and large, people seem to like it. And they're responding to the things I like. So I'm probably not going to release it. And then day one, everybody loads it, which is, you know, it's like, oh, good. That's that's nice to not have that existential dread or, or at least like a lower, lower end <laughs> oh, version of it. It's never really gone. <laughs> so that's cool. <laughs> but you also don't get the same punch of like it comes out and then like everybody reads it at once and it's at the same moment. It's like in a compressed period of time, which is kind of energizing. And also it's just, it just feels like there's always just something going on. So for our, our listeners who haven't read the book and who have read Legends and Lattes or maybe people who haven't, I mean, this is a prequel. So if you haven't read Legends and Lattes, this is a pretty cool opportunity for you to read. Uh, I mean, would you recommend reading the prequel before and everything before I keep going with my foot in my mouth? So uh, they're designed to be read standalone because I don't like having to read books to read other books, but... I think it probably will land a little better if you read Legend of Lattes first, if you oh, read them okay. in chronological yeah. order. Well, I was wrong. Yeah, I have but... <laughs> no plan. I know plenty of people who have read them the other way around and it worked fine. But I think specifically the way it ends intersects with Legends and Lattes in a way that is kind of uniquely satisfying. And it'll be a little more satisfying if you read it that way. It's not like it breaks it, but I think it'd be a little bit better read chronological. So for our listeners, like what can what can we expect out of Bookshops and Bondas? Like what what inspired you to write the prequel for Legends and Lattes? Uh terror mostly. Um uh, <laughs> the book I was going to write did not go well at all. And then it didn't go well again, and then it didn't go well again. And then I wrote this one. Um so I was gonna write something totally different. It was gonna be a it was basically fantasy murder she wrote. I had like a whole I think you mentioned that on outline the last and time we the talked, story. Yeah. I feel like I mentioned yeah, this last yeah. time. Oh yeah, this is what I'm gonna write. Yeah, I wrote about 
20 something thousand words of that. And I hated it because um, I spent so much of the book trying to do the mechanics of a mystery. Like this thing has to happen and this clue has to appear. Mm -hmm. and, and it just squeezed out all the stuff I cared about, which is characters and really liking and spending time with these characters. And so I was, I had a rough time with that. And the entire time I was writing it, I felt really, really awful. I was just like, I didn't, but I didn't know if it was because the book was sucking or if I was just worried that people wouldn't like it because it was different. And I didn't know which thing was which. And it took restarting multiple times to like find a thing that I was interested in doing that I thought worked and I liked. And then worrying about what people thought of it was like a separate thing. And I could tell that those were separate emotions. So it's a prequel because I wanted to talk about all of the things in life that dead end or don't go the way that we expect or that we classify as failures that are like the ground from which our later successes or like happinesses arise. So like the relationship you have that that ended poorly or didn't go the way you want or the the job that you got fired from or the the whatever. And then like 20 years go by and then all of a sudden you're like, man, I was ready for this thing to happen. I was ready for this relationship, this event, this job, this whatever. And it's all because of that way back when. So I, I like that idea. And I also wanted to, and I was trying to find a way to do something that included enough of kind of like what I think people liked about the first book so that they wouldn't be off put when they were reading it. But I didn't want to just also replicate what the first book did. Let's find a new small business and start it from the ground up <laughs> and it's in fantasy world and we'll make it anachronistic. And I just didn't want to do that again. So there are hints it, that the way I resolved that was instead of it being about that, it was hints of that, that I got to lay in there that you could see how they echoed in the future for her without having to replicate them completely. And at the time, I was also thinking about books and stories. And because the most, one of the coolest things that happened after releasing the book and people responded well to it for Legends and Lattes was that things I put in there because they were meaningful to me, other people res would respond to that. They would say, oh, I've had that experience. And that was really an unexpectedly powerful thing for me. Like, I just didn't know how cool that would be. I personally have spent most of my life feeling kind of outsidery and alone and like everybody else knew the game and I didn't know any of the rules and I was just sort of figuring it out. Like everybody else had everything figured out and I felt like a bit of an alien. And so having moments where people are like, oh man, that, I felt that exact thing and you felt that exact thing is super, super cool. So that ends up largely being a secondary theme in the book. It's where... Viv learns to actually read, not she didn't learn to read, she knows how to read, but she learns to enjoy reading and she learns to connect to other people through books. So now that I've told you all these other things, the general gist of the book is it sets 24, 20 years before Legends and Lattes. Viv, the orc, is young. It's the start of her mercenary career. She's signed on with this crew called Rackham's Ravens, which are, are famous or infamous, if you want to call it that. And they're pursuing this uh, necromancer. And she's young and hot-blooded and wants to kind of like show her stuff and immediately is way too headstrong and gets injured and dumped off in a crappy beach town while they go off to do the real work <laughs> i love this and so stuff. she's she's stuck she's annoyed she's thwarted she's worried that she's like missing out her big opportunity and she immediately runs afoul of the law because she's kind of bullheaded and um while she's stumping around she befriends the very foul-mouthed owner of this failing bookshop and it's about 
their how their friendship develops it is about she has like a summer fling and she the two of them relate through books the bookseller's like trying her out and it's kind of like sounding her out with different books because she doesn't have anything to do it's uh there's also an ongoing plot with the necromancer and there's a lot of skeletons and there's a little mystery and there's a bunch of stuff going on but it's all it's it's slightly more actiony than the other book but not by a ton obviously i wanted to go way harder away from it um so to a certain extent i initially felt oh man I mean, this is a real fail to not to not be pushing further away from that template mm. and to yeah. be still incorporating some of it. But by the same token, I like the story. I think I actually like it better than the other story because I think it has a little more to say. And I think it's, it, it's, it resonates with me personally in a different way. And I, I really did like, I like all the characters. I think Fern, who is the owner of the bookshop is like my favorite. I, I love her to bits and her, her pet pot roast is also pretty great. <laughs> And I think one of the reasons why your book hit so, so hard was uh, Pet Pot Roast. That just slipped on by me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one of the reasons why your book hit so hard was, you know, the world is and was and is in a bit of a calamitous time. And it was very safe and cozy. And I think that the story lends better to life lessons being embedded within them. And you said that you kind of have gotten some seems like fulfillment out of the fact that this present book you mentioned, it's like a sub theme was how present success is due to past failure. And I agree with that a ton. Uh, and I'm not surprised at all that people found that relatable. And I think the world kind of needs a different approach on failure. So that's really cool. Do you, what's your, what's the most fulfilling thing in the writing process for you? Is it seeing the reactions and the lessons learned by other people or is it completing the book or is it beautiful words? What really gets your goat? Connecting with people afterward. For me, the actual act of writing is just work. I was talking to Will White about this too. It's like laying bricks, you know, I, I can find some joy in some of the moments of it, but ultimately it's, it's just hard work for yeah. me anyway. And I do like finishing it and I do enjoy editing, actually. I like, you know, nipping and tucking and bringing things into their final form. But the best part, bar none, is interacting with somebody where the book worked, where they were like, man, this book got me out of a reading slump, or I was having a crummy day and this was just what I needed, or it just made me feel good, you know? Yeah. Um, anything like that is just like, that's incredible. I've worked in a lot of industries now, right? So I work in, I've done audiobook stuff. I've made video games for decades and I've been successful in those, but it's just different than all those. It's just totally different. Like video, video games, it's a creative industry effectively, but the story's all about the player, not really about you. Hmm. And it's not really about you connecting with them in any way either. It's just about making something for them. And also it's, it's like gone in a flash. Games get old, they get obsolete. And they're and then they get lost. Um, audiobook is somebody else's creative endeavor that you're adding some of yourself to, but it's still right. their creative endeavor. You're just putting icing on the cake. Stories, one, never go obsolete. They're always relevant to somebody, and that's you. It's just you connecting with other people or not. It's just uniquely cool. What if the actual process of writing, like it seems like you wouldn't learn that your favorite part of the book writing process was connecting with people afterwards you wouldn't learn that until after you had made a first book which is quite the undertaking we're not talking about knitting a scarf or anything here so how did you go from how did you become an author i guess how did you decide like i'm going to do the brick laying that i don't really like to get what mm -hmm. i don't really know exists <laughs> um i mean care enjoying story is like it seems like the prerequisite right like you've responded to a story and it just it gave you a feeling that you wanted to replicate Absolutely. i think a lot of us we experience something you're like 
that made me feel great. I want to do that. And I think that's a really common response to things. I wanted to write books since I was a kid. I have written some novellas and shorts and whatever. And I tried to write a novel any number of times, but it was always just like, I was always just too ambitious. Because I think for a lot of people, it feels like it, once you start writing a novel, it's like, this is my one shot. <laughs> I'm going to be able to pull this off one time. Yeah. So it better be the one. It's got to have every good idea ever. And then you also get paralyzed by the fact like, this was my only good idea. If I don't do it justice, what else can I do? I've got to work on this, but now I don't know what to do and I'm stuck. I mean, that was kind of my experience. So this is the first novel that I finished. It was because a friend of mine, uh, Avon Shortkind, who's another narrator, convinced me to do National Novel Writing Month again, which eh, starts in two days. And uh, we were both like, okay, we're going to finish. So we're just going to pick something super low stakes. Like nobody will care if we don't do this. It's not important to us. So I picked something ridiculous, which was an idea that I'd had a few months ago. I was like, I just want a Hallmark movie and a the Forgotten Realms, man. I've been watching The Great British Bake Off. I've been watching Fixer Upper. This is all I care about right now. So it was just like, it wouldn't matter if I didn't finish it because clearly the idea was stupid. Clearly. Clearly. clearly yeah. So clearly. Just won a bunch of awards. <laughs> yeah. Here's the funny thing, though. Here's the funny thing, though. I really thought it was going to be more of a nod and a wink. You know, you think, you hear the idea, well, an orc opens a coffee shop and you're like, what's it going to be named? You know, like orc bucks. You know, it's going to be that kind of... That kind of humor, right? It easily could be a idea, That's yes. immediately what you think it's going to be, right? Um, and then I wrote like one page and I was like, nope, it's not. But the outline is the same. Like the actual structure of the book is the same. It's just all a tonal difference that I didn't expect was going to be the case. So then the work of it was just like, I, I mean, I had, I had one, I had a writing buddy and we kept each other on task and we both finished our words every day and kept each other going. And we knew the other person would read our book. And um, then the you have the National Novel Writing Month as like a little crucible to do it in to kind of like keep you motivated. And for the first time since I wrote something simple enough to finish, <laughs> I actually made it to the end. Yeah, Travis, you just said something that I think was like super wise that you just like was one little sentence. You just said you knew someone was going to read it. I think that is I like never thought about that before. But man, if I were to go into my book writing it because I have motivation problems sometimes and I think it's because I don't know someone's going to read it. And so it's like, it's this thing that exists only in my world. I'm only accountable to me. And I'm not like, I'm only writing for me really, because like being an author is like a pipe dream. I'm just kind of so like, man, I think that's, yeah, I think you struck a chord there where it's like, if you can get a person. So if to anyone listening here, if you can get somebody to be your writing buddy and that's, or at least just reading buddy who who's like your mom, who's like, I will read what you write. Uh, man, that seems like, I just got motivated hearing that sentence, you know? I think that was, uh, that's Stephen King's whole thing. Is Stephen like his, King. Yeah, yeah you gotta have an ideal tabby. reader. Oh, you should have yeah. just kept it yourself, man. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was, I, was, I was just waiting to give Stephen King credit in a second because I think it's true. Um, because it's not, even if the person isn't going to read it, the idea that you're writing for someone, you're like, I'm gonna put this in because I know this is gonna make them smile or I know this is gonna make them laugh or I know this right. is gonna land for them and I can imagine how they would respond to it. Knowing somebody that, and just like that in and of itself is worth something because it gives you a target yeah i mean it, it is such a process i mean it, it's just um i i like what you had said kind of it, it really does feel like kind of laying bricks sometimes and you know it's like when you've only got like you know 17 bricks down and you need to lay a thousand of them it doesn't look like a wall at all you know it, and even if someone's like dude you're building a wall you're like no i'm not like this is this is silly. I just threw some stuff down. And then 
but it's like if you kind of i think will smith said it it's like if you focus on laying a brick as well as you can and then you move on to the next one you know it's like and, and we're quoting stephen king again here but my one of my favorite things he's ever said is somebody asked him like how do you write a book and stephen king said one word at a time you know which is like it's so cheeky it's such a cheeky answer but like there's literally no other way you can do it like you have to do it one word at a time Travis like what do you what do you do in those moments like when you're feeling like like man I, I don't want like I don't know where this is going I, I outlined it but like this part's giving me so much trouble like do you do you get up and go do something else or is it like a I need to push through this right now and figure this out today this moment kind of thing so um what I've had to do so I'm gonna have a couple of parts to this answer sure. one if everything's still working and it's still hard or whatever I still just sit there and get it done because I I I have to so far maintain a process of I have to get my words for the day and be done and I don't go somewhere else I don't do something else um, and ideally what I have done is I have thought my way through the chapter enough and understand the characters well enough that even if it's hard I can still get through it I don't get stuck on something that like I just don't know what to do hmm. um, so I can still put down mediocre words that get me where I want to go but. I have had the experience where I've come to the realization that this just is literally not working for me. Like I am focusing on the wrong thing and focused on the wrong thing. And the story is fundamentally flawed and I can't get on board with it. And then so far when that's happened, the solution for me was actually to just put that aside. Um, and that one of the things I said was, was, uh, was part of the themes of the book I just wrote was that like past failures are, are just the foundation for future future successes. I harvested a lot of organs from those dead books. <laughs> there was all kinds of things I found out and that I wanted and that I kept out of those books. Um, like uh, the protagonist of the first book I wrote ends up showing up in the book. Her, her uh, comic foil ends up showing up in the book. Her pet ends up actually all, all the characters <laughs> from the first book that failed ended up showing up in the book I wrote in totally different, um, in totally different roles really. And they had a certain amount of like, um, reshaping to their character, but they weren't wasted. So I guess the, my other part of the answer is that like, if it's really, really not working for me, I have set it aside. And that was, that felt like the right thing to do. And I still think was the right thing to do. But it feels like it's a dangerous thing to do, too. Like when you give yourself permission to just say, no, nope, this isn't working. I'm putting it away. There's like from some for me, I, there's I'm constantly worrying that I am just fooling myself and that I really should push through. But sometimes if I can explain to myself why it's not working and like really concrete terms that I understand, then I can maybe make the distinction. Yep, this needs to be parked. It's not an excuse. It's like I'm not going to produce well right now. Yeah. yeah, it can't be just like, I'm not feeling it. It has to be, right. this is the reason why this is not working for me. This is this character is not functioning because it's not about their personal journey. It's about this idea I had, and the idea is not enough to hold the story for me. So why, why does this character need to do this? Why do I care? Why am I trying to do this? Is this even something I care about, or did I just pretend I did? It was like, so I... Pretended that I what I really wanted to write was a mystery, but like I don't I don't actually read mysteries. <laughs> Why <did> I, <laughs> like I I mean I've read I've read mysteries yeah. and I've enjoyed them, but I'm not like a mystery of file. Why was it important for me to do this? And it was just because it was like oh the idea of fantasy murder she wrote sounded cool to me, but is that a character? No. Is that really talking about anything? No. So I 
can identify why that book didn't work for me in like understandable terms that don't feel like a total cop out. But maybe in like five, six, seven, ten years, when you're working on something else, you'll be like, wait, there was like that cool little mysterious through line I had through that other book. Like maybe Well, and I yeah, I haven't discarded it. Because yeah, but the thing I realize yeah. is that I'm not Agatha Christie. I'm like a Scooby Doo writer, you know. <laughs> Just the weirdos in the van. That's what I care about. Like you watch something like, you know, Poirot, and then you watch like Knives Out, right? You can there's like this distinct I didn't watch Knives Out because I remember what even the mystery was. I don't even remember. I don't remember who found what. Or what. All I care about is that the I loved Daniel Craig's character. I loved the screwed up family. I loved the weirdos. The mystery is like is like incidental to that. So that's the kind of mystery I want to write because I loved Knives Out because I just like I like the trappings of the mystery without you know, the very precisely machined gears and cogs. I mean, if you gave, if you offered me a million dollars, I couldn't tell you the the full plot of any one Scooby-Doo episode, but no. you're, I, I, I can absolutely name each and every one of those characters on site. No problem. And I, I know what they all the sound like. Are. I, didn't even, I didn't even really yeah. watch that much Scooby-Doo, but I know we all know those characters. So, because they're all like these individual, you know, very you brightly know. colored people, you know, it's. I love Columbo. But I love it because of Peter Falk. I love that he's, I love the whole idea that he's just pretending to being this bumbling dude, but he's super sharp. And at the end, the person who thinks they're so much smarter than him realizes it. He's going, whoa, whoa, one more thing. And he wanders back in and it's like, <laughs> it just all falls apart for them at once. It's just so freaking delightful. He's just such a great character. I liked the Natasha Leone um, poker face for the same reason. I mean, it basically is Columbo, but it's just watching her do these things that is so compelling to me so i just came to the realization that i was just looking at that the wrong way so i'm i'm working on a little short right now that's a mystery and it's a different character but it's like can i do this from that angle in a short and does that work for me and i think it does because i'm kind of delighted by the idea of it and the character specifically i just love the character we'll see how it pans out one of the first books that I attempted to write was a great idea or all my ideas are great ones, but like, <laughs> I think, but it was nothing. I was trying to find something unique that was like my, the important thing in my brain was not having been done before. And like, nothing's new under the sun, but I really wanted to like find that little nugget. And I just went off into like wacko land and I didn't even like, like you said, you're writing a mystery. You don't read mysteries. And I was writing this thing that I didn't like relate to at all. And as such, it was getting in my own way. I didn't want to write it. And so then I was like, I'm a, I have a little sailboat and I love to sail. And so I was like, let's just like make, forget what's new and what's not new. Let's just write what I want to read and what I'm excited about. Cause that'll be fun and hopefully motivate me to keep going. And I'm having a lot more success with writing about sailing fantasy. <laughs> I remember yeah. uh, when I was, when I was playing in, in bands a lot, um, one of the, one of the parts that's really time consuming about being in a band is obviously like writing songs and the composition and stuff. And I remember like we would get into these like weird discussions when we were right in the middle of writing these songs where we'd be like, no, that sounds too much like the strokes or like, no, that sounds too much like waves or that sounds, you know, and it's like, we, uh, we, we kind of like came to this realization. Where it was like, <laughs> So there's like two nice ways of saying this, or there's two ways of saying this. One is kind of mean, one is kind of nice. So one, the nice way of saying it is you're your own person, man. Like there, there's no way you could sound exactly like them because it's like 
it's just just by virtue of it being you it's going to be your own thing you know and then the other one is like do you really think you're as good as the strokes like i mean do you, do you really think you're like actually ripping them off like <laughs> so it's like i i tell myself that sometimes where i'm like man this seems just i'm not actually, as good as the strokes right it's like oh man like this is trying to be like is am i trying too much to be like scott lynch right now it's like evan you're not being like scott lynch right now <laughs> like, like you don't need to worry about it like it's like no Mike, move to michael jackson <laughs> yeah right yeah like nobody's gonna read this and be like wow evan wow you just this, this is ex the exact quality prose as scott lynch and even if it was i'd be fine with it if even if it did quote unquote rip it off you know like i i think that when whenever you're, if you're creating anything whether it's writing music poetry art whatever it is like trying not to emulate somebody is going to become a worse outcome than doing your own thing and not worrying about it you know like like it's just not gonna work. yeah just do the thing just do the thing yeah. get the work done it's okay to write something that feels good to you i think that like we really get in our own way and are like it ha again it has to be like freaking the best thing ever it has to be well you know what the best thing ever might accidentally be the thing that you just like <laughs> just and no, at least you'll real. finish that maybe <laughs> that's yeah. going in the quotes folder i mean i'm bringing up i'm bringing up the strokes again because uh but i remember like when i was going through like one of the the the, the hardest revision of what i of what i've got on submission right now like the it was so hard i was so frustrated i like called my brother and i was just like dude i so, like i don't i don't see some people are gonna hate this like they're really gonna hate it and um and he just said dude some people don't like the strokes and it was like such a and they're my favorite band in the world and and he wasn't saying your work is as good as the strokes what he was saying is like dude as much as you think something is really really good and almost like flawless other people have written entire like ten thousand word blog posts about why it's terrible and they yeah. can back it up you know it's it's wild and if you if you want to remind yourself of this just go to your absolute favorite book or movie or track or whatever and look up the reviews and sort them by one star and read what people say doesn't matter what you do you get up in the morning you make something somebody out there hates it yeah it's fine it's just can't be for everybody and there is absolutely no book or property or creative thing created in the history of the universe that everybody liked those one star reviews like you know you've got um one of my favorite one star reviews i don't know if either of you have read pride and prejudice or seen the movie or you know what it's about um but one of my favorite one star reviews is it just says it says Pride and Prejudice, one star, and it says just a bunch of people go into each other's houses, which is like the best review for a book I've ever read. Because like, because I, I love Pride and Prejudice, it's really good, but that really is what that book is about. Uh, yeah. And, and so there's like those ones, or like uh, with Name of the Wind, it was um, uh, Twilight for Neckbeards, which was just <laughs> like, oh, that's <laughs> such an awesome review. <laughs> like, like, it's so good. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of like the National Park reviews. Have you seen the one star National Park reviews where somebody's like, nothing but bugs, or there's only trees here, or whatever? Yeah, a lot and of it's trees. just like <laughs> describing <laughs> the park in the most negative way possible by just literally saying what's there and why you would go. I, I just love it. This because like, what are you going to do? Remake the park? No, it's a beautiful piece yeah, of right, natural exactly. scenery that people yeah. respond to. What are you going to do about it? Right, no one Somebody even made thinks this. it's nothing but bugs. Can't believe I drove. Well, like what's funny is so you got like those kinds of reviews, but then some one star reviews I've looked that where it's like man they really dug into this and every point they're making is so valid like this thing that i loved so much is such an amazing book and then it's like i'm like i don't see how anybody could possibly not like this and then which is why evan's not allowed to read the reviews about his own book <laughs> I'll, well, probably be, I'll be but fine I mean, 
think about your own responses to a book over the course of your life. Like there's books right. I liked when I was young and I read them now. I'm like, nope. Yeah, very true. You know, yeah. it's like yeah. you can't even you can't even have something that you like for your entire <laughs> life the whole time. I mean, like even the same person, yeah. Yeah. because it's about your window into the book at that given point in time. You know, mm. something that would bore you when you were young is interesting to you now. Something that seemed amazing and, you know, just transcendent when you're a kid seems childish and ridiculous when you're in your 30s. You know, it's yeah. just. How, how can you make something that appeals for all time along every axis? You just can't. Yeah, it's such a healthy outlook on it too because like the process of making any art at all is already just it's daunting you know i mean it, it's you're, you're you're staring in the face of your own ineptitude a lot of the time you know it, it's it's a lot of mental work you know um to kind of like plug away at something when it's not quite there yet you know and, and obviously like i mean one of my very very favorite um I guess quotes, I mean, it's really long, but it was a conversation that Ira Glass had, and I'm, I'm sure that maybe maybe either of you have heard of it or our listeners have heard of it, but it's called like, um, <clears throat> it's called like the creative gap, the creativity gap, where when you start doing something, you, you know, you start it because you've been, you've got good taste, you know, like, so Travis, when you started writing, uh, you were like, well, I really like all these books that I'm reading, I want to make this too. You know, because you've developed a taste for books. And then your actual ability to do it is not up to where your taste is, right? So there's like a gap between your actual ability to do something and what you want it to be. And so because that gap is so intimidating, a lot of people quit before they can cross that gap. And the only thing that's going to help you cross that gap is sucking at something for a while like and pu putting out like such a volume of work that you end up closing the gap with that volume of work that'll get you over to the other side and that like when i heard that that was like it was almost like this armor that i could put on and it was just like dude if you if you keep that mindset it's just a matter of time it's just time and work failure way to close the gap. yeah i mean then, then there's like an add-on to that which is that as you do that and as you age, your taste starts to develop even further. It refines, it becomes mm -hmm. more specific. So it can also feel daunting as your 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 taste continues to kind of outstrip it. You, you have to remember where your taste was. Ooh, yeah, because after you read a whole that, bunch yeah. or and you get more and more discerning, right? You're like, I've read a thousand books now. And now this thing that I thought was okay, no, my eyes have been opened to how much better it could have been if X yeah. or Y or Z Boy, had happened. Is that true? Anybody who becomes an expert, it's like using finer and finer uh, grits of sandpaper, right? Hmm. You know, you, I, I, you know, it's really easy to remove all this rough stuff early on, but when you really get down to it and you're really getting to that finer sandpaper, it's very small imperfections. But now you notice them <laughs> in a way that you never would have before yeah. because you spent so much time thinking about this and being immersed in this. So you've got an, another book under your belt here. Um, you're working so hard on all these, uh, on, on narrating and, and things like that. I mean, do you want to keep putting out a book every year or so? Like, is that kind of your plan right now? Or can you tell us more about that? So I signed on for three more with Tor, um, but the next one is not due until the end of next summer, first draft. Um, so I took one year to not release a book to try and get my schedule in order. Um, but then, yeah, I'm going to try and do one a year. Um, that's the aim anyway. That's so awesome. So I'm so happy for I'll you. I'll do one next year and the year after and the year after that. Um, and they're flexible on what they are. Um, and I have various different things I want to write. Um, and uh, hopefully I won't screw it up too bad. 
Can I ask, um, you know, so you self-published Legends and Lattes, and it was, you know, it people bought it. Uh, a lot of people bought it. Yep. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. And then Tor, if, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but Tor came along and wanted to acquire it, right? Um, and uh, picked... Almost, almost. Okay, okay. Can you let me know um, what that process was? Uh, agents approached me first, mm, which okay. is, I think, a more and more common thing when people are indie and they hit any level of success Mr. because Anderson. it's like a way of pre-filtering your your kind of your submissions. So three agents contacted me and I thought, oh, okay, why not? And so I signed on with one of the agents, Stevie Finnegan at Zeno, and then she took it out on submission to various different publishers and Tor was the first bite and they did a, um, uh, I forgot the name of it, but it's like, a, a, it's the timed offer. You got like 48 hours to respond. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Kind of High pressure. A preempt. A preempt. That's what they're called. Mm-hmm. A preempt. And it's Tor. So I was like, yeah. So What's that's the how. Of that? <laughs> you're like, yeah, it's Tor. So why not? Yeah. Just so you're not like playing agent, uh, like playing publishers against each other and trying to like raise the bidding. What they or wanted to do was prevent like a bidding war. They don't want to get it. where they're being played off. So they're like, you got this much time and it's theoretically more than they would have given. I mean, who knows? Um, and, uh, but yeah, you need to get back to us within this period of time. Interesting. Um, How many? It's time for a really serious question. How many times have people told that they love your book a latte? <laughs> um, like uh, never in person. Really? Never audibly. Wow. I think people only do that in text. I think people only do that in text. Oh, well, your first chance, time Chad. is here. <laughs> you got to say it though, Chad. Oh, I love your book a latte. Well, he asked Thank if you. anybody had complied. I made a review about it and that was the title of it. <laughs> and I felt very not an original as soon as I read it, but it was too good. Like I couldn't miss the low hanging fruit, uh, you know? Um, so how has your, how has your experience been becoming a traditionally published author when that wasn't really the plan? Um, I think it's probably uh, anomalously as positive as it could possibly be. I, I think a lot of people are coming into it and it's like, they've been trying to do this forever. And so the stakes for them are very high. They're like, I've been trying to get my book published. I've been writing. I've been on submission for two years. Finally, it comes along. The stakes are really high. So it doesn't go just one way or another. The stakes are high there too. For me, it was like, I didn't expect to do this. I didn't expect anybody to read it in the first place. I didn't seek out doing traditional publications. So the stakes are correspondingly like lower. For me, it was like, I can do this both ways and see see how it feels. And if mm-hmm. it's terrible, I'm just going to go back to my cave and narrate stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I already had had a good experience. So it was like, it's not going to ruin it. I had a good experience. It was great. Um, but also, I think, you know, anomalously, it's, I can't separate out the fact that the book was already really successful before they picked it up. So it got more energy from them than it probably would have gotten if it was just come through the normal submission process. Low risk. So I think yeah. I got like an idealized version of the publisher process. Um which means that they were very accommodating. Um, we didn't, the book barely changed. Um, it was like a few words and like some formatting. Um, I already owned the art. And so I granted them use and it, I really enjoyed working with my editors and it was just really good. Mm-hmm. And it was also very fast. Um, and the result was nice. People liked the book and it sold well and you know, everybody's That's happy so cool. and they wanted more books. Um, so I had a very good experience. I think also I am really weird for as far as an author goes, because I have very strange intersecting past work experience. That means that working with me is probably a little weird for them too. I, for instance, own all of the commercial art. I always buy the commercial art license and I just grant it. Um, I pre-edit my book before I get it to them. 
I've already paid for a full editorial pass before they even get it. Hmm. And they're fine with that because it's another edit. Yeah. Um, I, Why do you uh, do that, if you don't mind me asking? I will have... Because I am controlling. <laughs> because I, 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 I just assume that I should be involved in anything and that any energy you put toward assuming something is going to be as good as it can be just means that anybody who comes in afterward is just going to make it a little better. Right. You're going to I just don't live, I, I don't leave anything up to chance. I, I, I'm just very organized for this kind of stuff. I commission artwork. I own the artwork so I can grant the commercial. I know how art licensing works. I know how to commission it. I, I commission maps and stuff and like, okay, here I grant you license for this map and here it's ready to go. And if they need special content for the uh, Barnes and Noble special edition and they've only got two weeks, I know how to get it done in time and have it ready to go. And I'm, I'm just used to doing things that aren't just writing. <laughs> well, sure. Also, really hey, your cool. audiobook's finished. You don't even have to hire anybody. Right. Oh my God. And also yeah. it's already mastered. And here you go, Macmillan Audio. Here is the full audio. Also, I know how to deliver it exactly how you need it to publish it because I've already been doing this for years and years and years. <laughs> yeah, it's just not it's you. just not yeah, a very geez. common author publisher experience, I think, in that respect, too. Yeah, you got a big old bag of tricks, man. I, I was trying to prepare for this episode and write down all the audiobooks that you've done. Oh, and I well, we were sitting forever. here for the first 10 minutes and I was copy and pasting them <laughs> in my notes. I got to the bottom of page one and there was five more pages and then the forward <laughs> arrow, arrow under that. I was like, I'm not writing all of these down. This is ridiculous. No, you're not going to write. There's no like idea. 300 you had something on there. Belt. Travis, I have a question just for me. How do you tell the intimacy, the emotional um, closeness as the narrator because there's like all the characters of the book but there's also the narrator voice as a character too when it's not in like first person yeah, of course it's how do you distinct. tell how personal that is and and how and charactery it is uh, so a lot of that is just the tone of the book and it's the language that it's written in and it's okay it's, it's just vibes um uh in a lot of ways uh for me it's like there's a mental movie going on and what is the temperature of this scene mm. is this a is this, is this an intimate an intimate um like conversation where two people are leaning across a dinner table because there's a tone for that that matches it's like it's like background music it's like you're just scoring a movie and you can really tell people who have come from like radio or vo when they first start doing uh narration is because they don't have the distinction between the narrative the voice same. and the dialogue <laughs> voice it's all really pro projecting and it's all very declarative but knowing how to alter that narrative voice and also how to tie it in. Because like if you, if, when you switch from dialogue to an attribution, for instance, doing that in a naturalistic way that drops the tone and lets you ease out, you know, oh, this is really wonderful, he said. You know, there's that, there's a switch. Right. Where you go over and you do the handoff of tone. And you'll see a lot with uh, early audiobook narrators, they'll do, oh, that's really wonderful, he said. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. there's this, there's this dissonance that doesn't paper over that transition from narrative dialogue to narrative. And it's just an important part of the, just an important part of the art. We have, uh, from one of our, uh, awesome discord members, uh, Kevin said, uh, I, I can't believe I slept on this till now. Oh my gosh. You're interviewing the famed narrator of beware of chicken who described the work as unexpectedly wholesome. And I think Kevin wants to know, uh, maybe a little bit more about your experience doing that and, and how you felt about that. Before so. you answer though, Kevin sent me the audiobook and I listened to it and I loved it. And it's hard for me not to close my eyes and hear that because I it's just very recent. I listened to it. And so I hear you every time you speak, I hear <laughs> beware of chicken. <laughs> Which I loved, by the way. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, it's charming. Yeah, it was charming. It's totally charming. <laughs>
How many volumes are there of it? Like, how many did you do? I just narrated the third, which comes out soon. Like, I feel like a few weeks. Oh, cool. I, I don't know, know how many there will be total because it's still ongoing. It's still being written because it's serialized on Royal Road. So they kind of tear off big chunks of it in arcs and edit them and then release them as books. What was your favorite character in Beware of Chicken to narrate? Um, was it the gosh. chicken? I was unexpectedly delighted with the No, chicken. he doesn't really start talking for a while, you know. It was surprising. Um, he got a POV. I think May May gets to do this drunken song. So that's that's actually kind <laughs> I know of exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> the off-color drunken song. Yeah. I, so I'll say May May just because of that. Lesnars and Lattes and um, Bookshops and Bone Dust, um, you know, we, this is high fantasy, uh, low stakes. Um, and Allegedly. We, we love, <laughs> allegedly. Uh, we love it. You Probably know? some um, delicious I'm, steaks. I'm though. curious, though, like, have you thought about writing any kind of high fantasy kind of epic stuff, like maybe world ending stakes, maybe a little bit more, uh, if not serious in tone, but a little larger in scope where there's just like um, kind of yeah. a little bit more on the line? That's all I thought I was ever going to write. You know, that's what I spent my whole life trying to write. And what I thought I was going to write were these big, like, multi-POV, crazy, you know, I read Wheel of Time when I'm in high school. I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. This is not the kind of fiction I expected I would write. <laughs> I, it, it was not what cozy I expected fiction. I would write. Yeah. And for me, the important part is actually not that it's cozy, necessarily. It's more this, um, this sort of zoomed-in perspective and personal perspective on things in a fantasy yeah, world. That's what I don't I think relatable. it needs to be cozy at all, yeah. but it's a kind of characterization. And it's also, I think, for me, I found that I just prefer and enjoy writing things in a fantasy world that have a relatable approach to language and tone that feels modern. Like, it doesn't have, like, faux you know, archaicisms and it just, it's not like keeping itself distant. It's not trying to make, oh, this is this incredible world of far, far away. And we're just right. barely understanding it and interfacing with it. But also everyone has a British accent just because that's how we make you understand that they're foreign. You know, it's just like that they can be, I, I want to be, I want to relate to them as people because I've just come to the point and some of this is probably just being old and like, I just want to read stories about stuff that like, I relate to like i don't relate to overthrowing an evil evil overlord at all i can read about overthrowing an evil overlord as long as the people that are doing the overthrowing or the evil overlord have something going on that i can be like personally invested in that like i right. share some sort of resonance with and a lot of fantasy fiction i think doesn't bother with that because a lot of people don't care they're just like i need my cgi battles with dragons and the best stuff i think always has it but the best stuff isn't everything. And I think it just took me a long time to realize that I need that personal stuff. And it's way easier at my skill level, which I could admit is not, I'm not, a, I'm not an incredible writer. My, from my skill level, that's something I can achieve at a smaller scale. So what I liked, like some of the other books I want to write, I have one that's like a weird sci-fi time travel thing set in Texas and it's super bizarre. And I'm, I'm super into that. I want to write that. I have one that's like a kind of a portal fantasy, except it's a lady who like, um, I'll just, it just who like uh, is, finds this dragon egg in like a coal mine when she's a kid. And she's supposed to be picked up for her like special, you know, you're the, you're the chosen one moment and they just don't find her. <laughs> so instead she's stuck with a dragon that hatches that learns how to talk from YouTube and 
her parents, you know, can't contend with it. So she's like, a, she has to run away and she can't be around other people. And she lives in a Winnebago and she works like in an Amazon shipping place until finally they find her when she's in her thirties and she's like super bitter and has to go over to the other world. And it's all a front for the Elk, the Elks Lodge is like a front for like the, this fantasy world. Anyway, I've just got, I, I have lots of other weird shit that has nothing to do with cozy fantasy that I like to write. Yeah. And hopefully I will eventually become equal to writing. I think you nailed it with the relatability thing, though. Like, we don't read Lord of the Rings because we can relate about overthrowing a Dark Lord. It's like you said, we read it because we can relate to, like, having a best friend sacrificing and overcoming challenges yeah. and personal um, struggles and things like that. And you nailed it. And you, like you said, you know, coziness has nothing to do with why it was successful. It's because those characters are relatable and they're going through things uh -huh. that we can actually tie to our world and not only that but we can draw real value from seeing their reaction and what happens from them in the book and that's really cool yeah. i mean if there's and you, don't get me wrong fantasy tourism is cool like fantasy tourism is fun <laughs> some of lord of the rings is fantasy tourism especially when it's your first encounter it's like this whole world that you're just uh, seeing just an edge of you read dune and you're just like oh man fantasy tourism but that trades to a certain extent on novelty and so right. when you have the fantasy tourism plus something else, then it like endures. And I, I just can't get by on fantasy tourism alone anymore. Yeah. I mean, like look at something like a song of ice and fire. I mean, um, th this idea that you've got this giant 700 foot ice wall at the top of this continent, that's keeping something out. That's eventually going to kill everybody. That spectacle is the, as a piece of the world building is so incredible, but I don't think that it would stand totally on its own if you didn't have Jon Snow and Sam Tarly at the wall dealing with the right. personal things that they're dealing with. It's cool. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, don't get me like a 700 foot ice wall keeping back demons, like doesn't get a lot cooler than that. Like that's really, really awesome. But those John chapters yep. would be a lot more of a slog if it wasn't for how he's feeling about knowing that his dad just died after he just took an oath to not go anywhere. Like. You know, yeah. it's it's a conflict with with yourself. You know, like that's what everybody wants to read about. And uh, I mean, obviously, there's like a ton of other things that people want to read about. But you know, there's um, I'm on the uh, the fantasy fantasy writers subreddit every now and then, and um, it seems like what a lot of people struggle with is like they're like, oh my god, so I've been world building for so long. I've been I got like the politics down and I've got every religion and like what every every building is made out of what the roof shingles are made out of and like what the shape the coins yeah. are and you know, all of this stuff and the glossary is done, man, right. But they're <laughs> yeah. like, and I've seen this post like multiple times. I'm not trying to like come down on anybody or anything. But it's just like, the post is like the same a lot. And the answers are always the same. So it's like, I'm struggling, I can't get more than like, a, like 50 pages in to this. I've written like, you know, only this many thousand words i'm so stuck i don't know what to do and people are like you're done with the world bill you you need to move on to the story like you need to move on story. to these characters you know and the characters it's just like every single time for me like that's really really what i'm looking for yeah yeah and i feel like i feel like it's a lesson that everybody kind of has to relearn over and over again you do something and you're like okay well now i'm ready to expand outward and like you find the limits of how much you can currently expand outward from your current skill level. So like I'm I've come to terms with the fact that I I I can do something small and I work and work my way out. So mm -hmm. the next thing is gonna be a little bit bigger, maybe if I want it to be. Can I do a little bit more? Maybe this much more. You know, I have I have to I have to like hollow my way out from the middle. Yeah. Do you think that um, if you tried, if you attempted working on like a wheel of time type Malazan type thing, it would like it would just exhaust I, you. I don't. Part of it is, um, 
I don't think I'm attracted to that scale of like number of POVs and time expenditure anymore. If I'm going to write epic fantasy, I would write it way leaner. That's because I know that's the only way I have a hope of achieving it because I don't actually like the super sprawling fantasy anymore, partially because I can't keep up with the series and they never seem to finish <laughs> and I don't have time to reread them. I just can't consume fiction that way anymore. Yeah, um, I feel you. And partly because I've right just now. become wow. impatient with like shoe leather. You know, all those in-between <laughs> stuff like, oh, we're traveling for a while now. Poker and pots. Let's hear about the, let's hear about the carpets and the, you know, all the very yeah. special, uh, the economic system of this town we've just arrived at. I just, I've just lost all interest in that. Not because it can be cool for people, because I know a lot of people really like that kind of world building content. It's just not for me anymore. So I know I can't write that, but that doesn't mean I couldn't theoretically get to the point where I could write an epic fantasy. I just... I'm just going to have to, I think, work up to it. I've been kind of in this weird phase reading right now where like, we're, we're about three quarters of the way done with The Faithful and the Fallen by John Gwynn, which is like a big, sprawling, epic fantasy. Yeah, and, it's a uh, chunker. It's yeah, a chunker. and I'm, I'm, you know, Chad and I have had some conversations about it, and it's like, I don't think it's bad by any means, but I don't think I'm in the mood for it right now. And um, we're also reading Red Rising right now, which is like big and just like such a bummer of a series and like so but i mean the red rising is like amazing amazing uh, it's really 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 good but um i love red rising yeah it's I so mean, that's, we're on dark age right now and it is just kicking my ass but um but with with like these big sprawling things it's like um i am getting a little bit fatigued with it personally like i am i for some reason it also could have been done better like uh, when should have worked up Faith, to it. Like Faithful and saying. the Fallen is definitely like a very um it was super ambitious and it feels yeah. it feels like it could have probably been like three books. But I mean, maybe in John Gwynn's mind, he's like, no, it's four. Like it and we're not done with it either. So um, but yeah, but I you have can been... tell he built the heck out of that world before he introduced it to us. And as a result, it's very cumbersome sometimes, you know. But um yeah, like the kind of stuff that I seem to be more into lately is kind of like more character driven, more grounded. Mm -hmm. stuff and um but it's funny because we're about to start reading the malazan book of the fallen mm -hmm. for the podcast which is like i tried of, i want to, everybody's I tried <laughs> i thought like, i was doing I it too i got that, through, as yeah. soon as the first like real story shift where it switched to a new character set i was yeah. like oh crap yeah not because it's it's just i was i just it's so much didn't have the fortitude at the time or the energy or the the mental space to I do it I Three books before only... you know anything about the magic system. Yeah, it's crazy. I, mean, I, th I think that the only like because I've read the first, I've read the first one twice, the second one twice, and the third one halfway through once. And Chad's read, read like up eight. until like the eighth one, something like that. And I think that maybe the only reason, the only way that you can really do Malazan is to read it with someone else, start a podcast, and podcast about it three times a week or something like, a few you, you thousand people to do, to do it with you you have to do it like we're, yeah we have a, a very very many thousand uh strong book club that will be talking about it um and we'll, it'll take us like six months um but it's funny because there's some stuff that i feel like with epic fantasy as fatigued as i feel with it some of it does pass a certain quality bar where it's just like i don't even care how long this takes like when stormlight 5 comes out i'm rereading all the yeah, stormlight totally books, read it. Absolutely. stormlight is my epic fantasy thing that i read right now that's yeah. the one that i will read and i here, always here. know that i'm gonna hit the halfway point and the dominoes are gonna start to fall Oof. and he's gonna set up he's gonna set it up yep. but there's gonna be he I trust Sanderson to pay it off for me oh, and to time. pay it off at the end of the book where I was feel satisfied that I read the book. 
you know. Um, and I enjoy his characters. Yeah, he's got you know, great. I enjoy characters. spending time with him. I enjoy spending time with his characters. And he also wrote a ton of books before that series too. He worked his way up to it, just like you said you're mm -hmm. doing. Yeah, like I don't know if Sanderson um, could have done Stormlight the quality that he no, did. No, look at Warbreaker. Done... I mean, <laughs> it's so funny because everybody loves Warbreaker, but me and Chad just kind of shit all over it. Like, <laughs> it's boring. It's more boring, more breaking. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really cool to hear, though. I mean, um. You know, sometimes I do read this epic fantasy stuff and I'm just like, man, what an undertaking, you know, like, like, how did you think of all of this? Like, how did you keep all this in your head? Like, apparently Steven Erickson doesn't take, doesn't use a, any notes. Like I was listening to an interview with him. He doesn't outline anything. <laughs> he doesn't, they doesn't keep any journals. He just, just goes. It's just literally all in his head. All in his head. Like, I, don't, I, don't I mean, know. I've taken my, so I like world building. I actually enjoy it, but I've Dude. more or less come to the realization so I had a friend of mine who handed me like a chunk of a novel I wrote in high school. Sweet. And like a, he had it like in a binder and he handed it to me. And it was the that's most so horrifying cool. thing anybody has ever handed to me. <laughs> and it's like 50% glossary, you know? Oh, wow. It's just like build the world and then let me go try and make some kind of story. A story there was no way I was the equal of writing. Right. Um, but I've kind of taken the stance of like character out world building where the only parts I put in are what that character, what's relevant to that character. But what I've, when I think about like the world and the things that I need to know so I don't write myself into a corner, it's like sheet draped over furniture. Like I can see that's probably a couch and I think that's a chair over there. I know in kind of large, like tonally and like as far as its overall effect on the world, what these things are and the shape that they have. But I leave those details for when they're important to me. <laughs> Yeah. Because then I twitch the sheet back. I'm like, oh, hey, look, it's a it's a wooden rocking chair. Cool. That's what I needed. <laughs> I knew right. there was a chair there, but I didn't know it's precisely what kind. But now that the moment has arrived, I can fill in those details when they're relevant to me. But I knew enough about the shape of the furniture that I didn't screw myself. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the the approach that I have taken to world building at this point. Like I know all about the magic system in Legends and Lattes. I knew the rough shape of it. And as I started to need to know more, I was like, yep, there it is. So now I can tell you all kinds of crap about the magic system. And it became one of the, when I was writing the book that was going to be the sequel, it was one of the focuses. It was like part of the mystery of it. And um, it's nice to be able to find those details when you want them without having to like, I, I knew the shape of it and that was enough. And I think that that's why Legends and Lattes resonated so much with people is like, you know, I mean, the idea of somebody starting a business is like on paper. Yeah, it's, it's interesting enough, you know, like a fantasy town, interesting enough. But like what Viv is like thinking and dealing with um, in those moments where everything's even kind of going OK, like those are what I was like really latching on to, you know, especially compared to like the life that she thought she was going to live or the life that she had kind of given up. Um, it, it, that's really compelling. You know, and I think that's where a lot of the resonance comes from. And I think that if it didn't have that, I probably would have liked the kind of like, oh, like a, a rat who can cook pastries. Like, that's really awesome. And I would have liked the 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 title Legends and Lattes and stuff. But like, if you just kind of have this wooden character who's like, I want to start a coffee shop because, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, there has to be right? the, the connective tissue that that, I mean... I think the way, the, the reason that Viv resonates with people is because she's somebody, one, is just like this feeling that you start to get when you get into your 30s and 40s or like, 
everything is inevitable now. All the decisions I've made, I'm walled in by them. And if I do anything else, am I wasting my time? Am I not going to be able to do anything else? Did I like blow my chance? I think that feeling grows stronger the older you get. Scary. And, and it's scary. And so the idea of saying, no, I can try is immediately like, there's a little bit of like relief to that or like a little bit of hope. There's this idea that, yeah, I want to do that. You know, I've done this freaking job for 20 years. I don't even like it anymore. I want to go open a freaking coffee shop. This is, you know, and, and the other is the idea that you don't, then you don't fit, that you feel like people think you're unequal to what you're doing, that you're not Mm. the right person for the job and being able to do it anyway. There's this idea of like, everybody's has expectations of you your whole life of who you are and what you're going to be. Also, they're tied into what you've already done and the freedom of saying, you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. I, yes, I am a big green person who has, (laughs) who doesn't fit through any of these doorways, but yes, I'm going to open a goddamn coffee shop. I think also there's just a basic idea that these people are are basically just decent people. It's like, Hmm. it's like somewhat competence porn and somewhat just like, (laughs) It's okay for just people to be okay to each other, to right. resolve things yeah. with a conversation, to address things in adult manner, to not be like 18 year olds trapped in the body of adults in terms right. of story, you know? And I think there's a certain like ah, relief to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, There was definitely a, a level sense. of competence woven throughout of like the people she, even she hires, like they, she gets people who know how to do their job. And yeah, that's, that's there's a never a lack of confidence in, her ability to accomplish something. Well, you know um, there's something. Go ahead. Evan. Well, what's really cool too is like I noticed it when I was reading Legends and Lattes. Is like um, when you set out to do something uh, and you're a little nervous about it. Uh, a lot of times, people are around to help. Like if you're kind of you know, like if you're starting an endeavor, and it's like like when I started uh, even posting stuff on the internet, like it at first at first I felt kind of alone and I didn't really know what I was doing, but. And I got some like DMs from other people that were doing it and they were like, Hey, like, that's cool that you thought of that. Like, do you mind if I use that idea? And then we like talk a little bit more and all of a sudden there's a little community of people that are, that want to help and like, that are interested in what you're doing too. And like, you know, it can feel lonely at first, but that's what you had these other characters. Yeah. Yeah. You had these other characters come in who, um, I mean, one of them was kind of like, like kind of silent about it and, you know, just kind of like did the work and. He just kind of grunted, which I, I thought was really cool, uh, or made like his signature sound. Um, and then, mm. you know, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, have, but, I have a question yeah. just to kind of take things off in a little bit different direction. You yeah, are so, married, right? And you have two kids, I think? Yep. Cool. What role does the, your family play in your book writing? Are you bouncing ideas off of them? Are you giving them little preview snippets? Are you being like, I named this character's dog after you because you're my favorite son? Like, how is that? <laughs> what are you um, doing there? I mean, I'm mostly in a box writing. Um, my kids couldn't care less. <laughs> my they? kids have never even listened to an audiobook I've narrated. I was like, oh, what? I'm going to write read audiobooks and then you'll be like, I'm reading you stories in bed and it'll but it'll be way cooler. And like, nah. Uh, my kids don't, don't care at know. all. They um, will. You know, and I'll talk to my wife will. about it every once in a while, but mostly I just do it because um, uh, for me, it's kind of like a soap bubble, you know, and if I over talk it, I think I kill it. Oh, oh interesting. Um, I have a real, it's like, okay, well now I told somebody the story. Now I don't need to tell it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's told. 
Um, so there's a certain amount of just go and get the work. <laughs> Do you ever struggle with like, um, yeah, I'm struggling with this character's voice or how to read this part or how to interpret it. What's the best way to tell this and then ask them, how does this sound? Run it by them. Or is that not a thing that you do? It's like laughing. No, nope. <laughs> nope, I don't. I don't. What a question. I, I just, no, it's not. I think a lot of, I think that would be really. Yeah, I do it with my girlfriend know, all the time. Yeah. If, I, I, if I was cat. capable of doing that, um, to a certain extent, I don't know if I, um, I just, I, I just don't, I think I've ever functioned that way. Um, so I probably should. It would probably be like a healthy, good thing to do. No, man, your process I, I just never really works. worked that way. Yeah, I read to my cat. It works for me, you know. Though I have not. Um, I have way more <laughs> failed books than written books. So you know, I think it can backfire odds. a little bit, like kind of like because <laughs> I've definitely been like, oh man, I'm kind of stuck here. I need to run this by Effie, and uh, she'll just kind of like point out everything that's wrong with it that I didn't even think about. So I'm just like, cool. You just gave me more work, and um, I was really just talking about this thing, but right. obviously it's like, all horrible. <laughs> so never is that mind. a cool yeah. sounding name or not? <laughs> She's like, why is this happening right now? It's like, oh, I don't know, because you're smarter than me. So maybe you should write it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll give like you, the you said idea. earlier people don't know what you can do until you've done it really you're kind of like defined by the limits of what you've done and if there's one thing that i've learned about myself uh and again perhaps this is my hubris talking but i have no idea what i'm capable of and so i should not be getting in my own way nor should i allow anyone else to you know so what your process yeah. seems to work for you and obviously you putting one foot in front of the other and failing your way to success has been a very fail driven success route which i think is every successful person's route right like einstein or not einstein whoever. Yeah, you just have to reframe them as not failures you know yeah, yeah it's just a stepping stone um so travis you're like really busy obviously i mean like do you when when you're relaxing like what are you doing in your, in your spare time like when you're not narrating books and writing books and having a family and traveling around and stuff just barely pr just prone you know right lately um i normally like to read um it's still my I, I enjoy reading especially yeah. books that i pick yeah who'd have thought um uh, but i end up reading a lot of novellas because they're easier to put in between other books that i read um you know i used to play games and i still do occasionally but games are so long now that i never have time to finish them so i got a good way into like tears of the kingdom and Oof. i enjoyed it so good but like now the idea of going back is like yeah i don't i don't remember what i was doing I appreciate small, completable things. I mean, I like to go on a walk. I like to, I like to, I like to hike a little. I, um, I, I doom scroll on TikTok and lay oh on a couch and just let all the energy drain out of my body. Um, uh, it's stressing me out just thinking about it, man. Um, you know, I'm mostly I'm aiming toward having more free time so that I can entertain things that are fun to do for long enough to get a toehold on them. Mm -hmm. Right now, I feel like I never have enough time to get a toehold, so I can't like start any like project or entertainment yeah. that involves any right. commitment of time. If you're looking um, for a cool, um, a, a, like a, a great game, like when I'm trying to like play video games, but I don't have like a lot of time or anything. Uh, have you heard of a game called Slay the Spire? Yeah. Have you played it at all? I think I played uh, maybe a couple of minutes of it oh, ages really? ago. Yeah, it's like um, um is that kind of your like? Yeah, because it's it, it shows a game. it it it'll it'll never take more than like half an hour, forty five minutes. Like, so if you do have like a little chunk of time, but you don't want to like 
you know, play like Assassin's Creed Odyssey and be like, you know, doing like this 40 yeah. hour thing. Like, um, Slay of the Spire is really cool because it's just, it's a deck building game and you just, it's just like this turn based, really simple thing, but it's, it's very deep, you know, like there's a lot of different ways yeah. you can go at it. And, um, I just like it because there's like a, ti a timer on it. It like shows you how long mm -hmm. you've been playing. And I think they made it specifically so that you could just play around like before work or whatever. And then just that's it. You're done, you know, yeah. for a little bit. Because you're right. I mean, yeah. damn, the video. And, you know, you've been in the industry. Like it's, it seems like it, it, it feels like there was a time where big open world games were so in vogue because they were making quality ones. And then all of a sudden they were like, well, hang on a second. We could just make them gigantic and then like just copy and paste a bunch of stuff and yeah. randomly generate a bunch of stuff and then we'll just throw a bunch of microtransactions at them yeah. and it, it's just not as good as good as good of an experience if, if i could get like just the good parts versions of games like, i would pay extra <laughs> yeah like a bunch yeah. of good stuff's coming out like spider-man oh my god Two just came out yeah. and then probably, i'm awesome. sure it's amazing but yeah. i know it's probably like oh this is going to take me all of my spare time for yeah. eight months to play every this. two blocks uh, you got to stop a robbery <laughs> uh, I, Alan Wake 2 just came out. I know yeah, it's going to be yeah. like a 20-hour game, and it's going to be amazing, but I don't, I don't have 20 hours, and I know if I don't stick with it through to the end, I'll never finish it. Mm -hmm. So, so it's just like it? I've, I, I played a little bit of Starfield, and I was like, yep, I'm never going to finish this. <laughs> I'm never even going to get a quarter of the way oh. through. I tried to play Baldur's Gate 3. I made it through the prologue, and I was like, there's no went four hours, and yeah. I'm not even starting really Act 1, and there's three acts, and I've got eight characters already and i can't even imagine how many side quests are in the offing and i'm just like pretty exhausted it's like there's just no way i can tackle this it's a you're blessing totally... and a curse because it's probably good that you're not playing 40 50 hours of video games a week but also it'd be really cool to play some of i agree with you like some of the games like they look so amazing the story is so cool but it's like man does it 40 hours like i, I tried playing red dead redemption 2 and i was just like which is amazing and, i actually finished no. that because oh, i had did. i wow. had oh. it's been years but i had disposable yeah. time when i played it and it's it's, such and it's an amazing but it's so slow like it's just it is it's so and ride that horse freaking... <laughs> and ride that horse you gotta talk and to ride that horse have those well, conversations like... watch the little movie okay girl <laughs> all right okay girl that's like the most dialogue that i heard all right oh, girl, just all right, girl. Like, getting up my bond with that horse all right girl you're all right girl <laughs> well like you said earlier it's like any sort of new endeavor that you want to do including a playing a really good game like that it's gonna take time like i've been learning how to play the guitar and i'm i've been i'm on like month two and i've put a lot of time in to it and i'm nowhere close to being able to like i'm kind of but like barely able to like express myself or like do art i'm like doing scales <laughs> do and like art. yeah you know i'm like yeah. learning and it's not fun necessarily but i know that it will be you know and the older i get the more i guess i kind of be deliberate about those things because i just realize that i don't have all of the time in the world um and on that note you said you mentioned a lot of novellas because <laughs> they're short Hit me with some novella recommendations because yeah. I've been trying to read some more of those uh, since they are so short. Um, I really like T. Kingfisher and she tosses out a bunch of novellas. So I did Thorn Hedge and A House with Good Bones. Um, I really like Sisters of the Vast Black, um, uh, Ring Shout, and and a very, I, I just like a really lean story. I love when the economy of novellas, like you've got an idea and you execute on that idea and you get out. And there's just no wasted, there's no, no side fat quest. on it. 
Yeah, novellas are really awesome. Like, uh, I really there's a novella series I really want to read, like Martha Wells's um, Murderbot stuff. Murderbot's uh, tons of fun. Oh, have you read those? Yeah, they get longer. I've read. As they go. Um, I've read the first four. I think I haven't finished them. I read, read the, the first, first one. Um, and I like the I like the main character of Murderbot. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I need to read more of those. But yeah, the, it's it, like the idea of as like a content novella, creator. That's so tasty. Oh yeah, think of all the content I could make. Ooh, yeah, I could make a video per book. <laughs> I was doing all the Goosebumps books for a little bit on TikTok. No, stop that! I forgot. I, dude, they're, like they're they're pretty crappy books. Like I mean, like I don't. Yeah, they're not. I read one during a poop, just a single poop. <laughs> I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a. Long it, it, poop. I sat there for way too long. Yeah, but like gonna, you know, it was embarrassing. But um, <laughs> yeah, like I was doing all the Goosebumps. I still wanted. I want to be the guy on TikTok that did all the goosebumps books in a playlist but i don't want to actually do the work i think i don't I like think anybody's idea. gonna be like man you know what tiktok means the the goosebumps guy i know but like you gotta switch to animorphs you know? maybe i Ooh, should nice. maybe the, you know honestly oh i think uh easy cat is doing all the anim animorphs books mm. i think that's where oh, i got yeah. the idea actually i'll be the uh but, um goosebumps is just uh, man the boxcar children guy goosebumps is just the same every time it's just like it's like there's this kid yeah. who like hates his sister and his parents hate him you Dude, know the vampire then... one had a wacky ending bro it's just like some of them are cool endings nowhere. but it's always just like i need your red wall series Ooh, red yeah cap. those you know what yeah. i would do that if those books weren't the driest thing what? i've ever read in my life dude like, just they're, greatest they're great they're oh, greatest oh i think feast. they're they're fantastic books like but they are very like I feel like the the valleys between the action are so deep and like it's so like um i think it, it really depends feels... on the book yeah i mean because like, like I... redwall itself is oh, pretty yeah. redwall's great pretty uh, constantly Madame... spiky with action i mean Madame Mayo you is get really some good. that are hits and misses but yeah uh, like like maddie mayo is really good um like the sequel to redwall where that's like a lot of action yep. Mossflower is pretty cool. Martin the Warrior is pretty cool. But then I read stuff like... I feel like Salman Dastron was really good, too. Yeah, it was. I haven't read that one. That's oh, the one with the badger up on the mountain and all the hairs. Yeah. And they're Those are my favorite badger oh. hair. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Um, I remember I read Pearls of Lutra, and I was like, nah, I'm not digging this. Like, I don't... That's the one there. Yeah, totally. But I think that they're 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 so long. Like, they're each like 450 pages. They are pretty long. Like... They're pretty long. <laughs> A lot of feasts. <laughs> Yeah, it's not easy to buzz through and that's not easy to buzz through those for TikTok content. Well, yeah. and not to mention, um, I think uh, I've heard that they start to get a little. Um, so like the first like five to ten that Brian Jocks released were kind of like their own things. But then I think that he had found found like a bit of a formula and then kind of for the last I think there's 21 of them or something. Uh, yeah, there's no way I read all of them. I didn't even close to read them all. <laughs> but I mean, I, like there's I nothing. Have, nothing really hits like Redwall, though. I mean, like no. there's. Yeah, I've first been trying book. to. When I ran into that as a kid, I was just like, oh my God, I came yeah, across dude. something illicit. I can smell Seriously. it. When no, you said that first real. book, I was like, oh, I yeah, smell no. it. Um, but yeah, yeah. with uh, I was I was thinking about reading some more like kind of like middle readers, like young adult, like young, young adult type stuff um, for, for TikTok. Um, but what about you, Travis? Have you considered maybe writing some of that stuff? I mean, you've got two young kids. Like, has that been something that's been interesting? Well, for you? my oldest is in college now and my youngest is 13. So they're not oh, that okay. young so, anymore. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I ever really aim, aimed for that. And I don't know if it's just because uh, I'm too selfish and I only want to write things about like the things that are relevant to me. 
<laughs> I mean, that's totally fair. That you are yeah. the one writing. <laughs> probably, probably, I'm like, probably. I'm it's, probably just too selfish. Come for on, that. man. Sacrifice. If that wasn't bit. working, maybe switch it up. But like, it is. I only so. want to write. I only want to write write about decrepit people in their forties. You know, who are struggling <laughs> with you know midlife crisis. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think writing that kind of stuff would probably be pretty difficult, honestly, because you have to kind of like bend down and and make sure you're kind of like reaching. Kids. On the one hand, shorter usually. Shorter. You just bust yeah. your way through. You know, you get it. That's it's just not going to be as dense unless you're, unless you're Brian Jakes, I guess, and yeah, writing right, Redwall. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of them are pretty lean. You know, but I, I you know I don't think you can come to any of them lightly. You know, you're writing for. for you got to take it seriously. Yeah, I read yeah. some um, like Brandon Mole's like Fablehaven. I read a few of those. Um, mm -hmm. It was like it was like kind of cool, but it was just. Um, I don't know. A lot of it felt just very like, like it felt like there was a lot of like tacked on action where it was just kind of like, he was just kind of like creating random problems uh, for these kids to like mm -hmm. deal with. Um, and then eventually there's like a sort of climax and then everything's like totally cool. Um, yeah. But then, um, and then I read some of the Percy Jackson books and man, those totally missed me. Like, and I know that a lot of people really like those a lot, but I think I was just a little too old. Which is why I imagine yeah. it's like kind of hard as a as an adult to write those kinds of books is because like even as an adult, I have a hard time connecting with those kinds of books. Yeah. Um, for, I yeah. mean, for me, if I was going to write at YA, I would want to write that YA that bridges a gap that I can still read now and could have read then that like, like if I read like some of Garth Nix's stuff like Sabriel and like those still work for me, you know, if I if I read Redvolve right now, it would still work for me. There's there's some there's some valley in the middle where it works everywhere, and that's the kind of YA that I would want to write, which is probably the hardest YA right. to write. Yeah, <laughs> but I no, think it's the sure. YA that kids want to read. Like when I talk to my nephews and nieces, they want to be interacted with like adults. You know, it's like I shouldn't be I shouldn't be talking about content subject matter with them that is adult, but I find that they resonate really well if I don't tell them stories as if they're kids. You know? Yeah. And I think it's totally, I mean, I think writing anything is worth worthy of respect. All YA has got, you know, it's just like, what do you need right now? As I kid, like as a kid, what do you need right now? Do I just need something that's going to get through me through a crappy day? Mm, that's right. a lot of merit to that. Or like, I just need something to read in the covers, under the covers at night while my parents aren't here because I'm just so freaking high on getting stories into me. And that's such a worthy thing. You know, I'm so impressed with people who are doing that because they're basically doing this work on behalf of kids. They're like, I'm going to make your kid life better. Yeah. And that's pretty friggin' cool. Are there any books that you've read where you're, where you prefer it on audiobook? Like where you, you listen to it on audiobook and you're like, that's the way that this needs to be read. You know, like, do you think that that's even a thing? Because I've seen that discourse before on TikTok and Instagram and stuff where it's like, these are better as audiobooks. I mean, do you think that, for me, that's certainly the case. Yeah. If you get the right narrator paired with it, it's great. You know, if the right character who understands the material and, you know, gets that across to you a way that you can't do yourself. Like uh, Frank Muller is my all-time favorite in audiobook oh, narrator. We uh, just did The Dark Tower. Oh, oh You don't like him, huh? What? No, he's no, amazing. That he was killed. me. That was oh, me going. Okay. Oh, he's like the I was going to be a little world. upset. No, oh, he's no, the best. He's, he's so the greatest good. of all time. Yeah. The yeah. Green Mile audiobook is like my gold standard for audiobooks. If you yeah. haven't listened to The Green Mile, the Frank Miller narrated version, it's freaking great. It's way better than reading it as a book. Um, and I think that especially because like just everybody reading books, like how many of us are good at like delivering comedy? 
or really an emotional uh, an emotional like dialogue delivery you're just getting whatever the best version of that you can get in your head is what's the limit of your imagination and your comic timing right mm. and somebody yeah. who knows it intuitively and can make that happen for you i think that text is an imperfect translation of something that's essentially an oral tradition we had we had spoken stories before we had words totally yeah and for thousands of years i think that they struggle to get across things that we can effortlessly get across audibly hmm. and so if you have somebody who can translate it back from text into an idealized audio version of that i think you're getting like the optimal way of consuming a book that doesn't mean that always happens and there's certain books i think that use storytelling conventions or uh, that are difficult to translate to audio you know it's like totally. reading a table of data it just doesn't you know that's just that's not great for audio um some things just don't translate well because they rely on new methods of communication but by and large i think there's a lot of audiobooks where the audiobook is the ideal way to do it this run through of red rising that chad and i have done uh the first time i read red rising before we did the podcast um i read them all uh, with my eyes and then um, when we went back through it, this would this would have been my reread of Red Rising. So I decided to do the audio books for the first three. Same. I'm back to reading the physical books for the the new ones that I haven't read. But with the audio books, Tim Gerard Reynolds does those. Mm -hmm. uh, dude, like and it's great. It's it's so it, and it's like and and I had the comparison too, right? So I had like I had read them in in book form, and I love them so much. But the way that in, you know, along with what you're saying here is like the way that Tim Gerard Reynolds was able to like there's speeches that Darrow makes, like when he's you know there's so many speeches that Darrow makes actually, but that it's so much more epic to hear like the cadence of that speech done yeah. with an Irish actor's voice for an oh. Irish <laughs> character. Oh my God, it's just. Well, yeah, and have so you good. listened to Stephen Pacey's um, Abercrombie stuff? Oh, of course. Oh my God. And it's great, right? I don't. Th right? I I I hear Stephen Pacey's voice like because I um I recently read the Age of Madness trilogy, um, but I didn't listen to audiobook. But I wait, did I? Oh, I listened to the second one on audiobook. That's what I did. Uh, so I read the first one, and then I listened to the second one on audiobook, and then I read the third one, and his voice was like in my head. Yeah. It's, it's even and like, it sometimes it just makes it and it, or it makes a character in a way that's really really specific and indelible so I, i'm trying to toot my own horn but there's a no, there's no. a series i do called the ripple system uh written by kyle kieran um and it's um it's basically it's like rpg it's about this guy who is like a corporate flame out he inherited all this money after he tried to make this company run more like ethically and failed spectacularly and then his dad had to come in to save the company and his dad died of a heart attack and so now he's just like he's got money but everybody hates him and oh, he lives wow. you know in obscurity and this new game comes out and the uh they're gonna have like it's like a total immersion like you could stay in all the time in a pod kind of thing and it has an early access period where they're giving out like 50, you know, like 50 people can get in. And he just immediately buys them all because he's like, I'm moving into this game and I'm never coming out. And I'm just going to make my life in there. Whoa. And so everybody hates him because he buys up the early access. So the CEO <laughs> of the company is pissed off because he ruined their early access. But he can't say no because he legitimately paid for it. So he gives him this poison pill, which is an axe named Frank, who knows everything about the game, but hates the main character oh my god that's such a good idea and is totally antagonistic and it's one of the funniest series i've ever read the banner is amazing the characters are great but it also 
always sells way more in audio than it does in book. And people's reaction to the book is often sharply divided based on whether they heard the audio or the book. Because the characterization of the acts and the relationship they have is so important to get right. Because they're antagonistic, but they're also kind of become buddies over the course of it. So there's this weird, like, antagonistic warmth. Also, basically, for me, the act sounds like Danny DeVito in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. (laughs) Which is a good, also, example of, like, the character. Like, you can't help but like Danny DeVito. Mm -hmm. He's... And he's, like the worst. he's infinitely likable, yeah. but he's a horrible person and it's yeah. always sunny in Philadelphia, but you still like him. Yeah, it's really it's like perverse. And so to get that across, it's way easier to get that across an audio than oh. it is in a book. You read that in the book and you're like, a lot of people are like, Frank's just a dick and I hate him. And Med and Ned is just an asshole. He's just a rich boy <laughs> asshole. And I don't like him. And they don't relate to these characters. But if they listen to it in audio, the chance that they relate to them is way higher. Whoa, I'd never thought about that before. And it's to the point where Kyle actually reads all the dialogue out loud when he's writing it, trying to do the voice that I'm doing to make <laughs> sure that the comedy lands right, like the way it's going to in the audiobook. So he's like consciously has it in mind at this point. Well, anyway, I, I read those. What is it called? I freaking love these books. The Ripple? It's called, uh, the first book is called Shade Slinger. There's four of them. Okay. And uh, so you got the axe. It has just such a great cast of characters. So he gets his, he has like a very technologically advanced house with an AI that runs the house called House, who's basically like this supercomputer from that, from the, the corporation. And he needs somebody to help him. So he has her log into the computer and pretend to be a person. She does not know how to do this. And she also has to run herself on low cycles so she can't exploit everything in the game immediately with her superior processing power. So she's like running around in a Naruto run and like standing too close to people. And every time she lies, her teeth itch and she starts scratching them. And <laughs> she's just not very good at being a person, but she's incredibly lovable. Um, and so then all of the book becomes about like an Axis dad issues and this house this ai that's trying to learn to become a person and is also becoming a cat lady and it's just it's it's just bizarre i don't i don't know how to describe this book anymore it's i adore it every time one comes along i'm delighted the writing's so good the banner is amazing it's the best banner i've ever read out loud bar bar none and it's consistent like it's really it's hard to be funny but it's even harder to be continuously funny and to constantly introduce new long-running jokes funny on purpose. that are legitimately funny over the course of books and books and books. Like, often the shtick wears out. Like, I'm tired of these characters. These jokes are done. But he just keeps introducing new ones, and they're always funny. These books are like, the first two are 650 pages each, and the third one is 862 pages. They're not short. They're not short. <laughs> that's um, so long. I think there's a wow. lot of World of Warcraft nostalgia baked into these, if that's your thing. Yeah. Um, I was not a big World of Warcraft player, so that's not the thing that got me. The thing that got me is that it's just the funniest. And it, and it perversely has a lot of heart, as it, especially as it goes. Anyway, I like them a lot. So um, as we kind of close out here, um, a couple more things. Uh, so I've been really, not not debating, but like it's just a matter of time before I start reading Cradle by Will White. Um, I, I think that mm-hmm. that's the series that... It, my fan base has been pushing me to read more than any other. Um, a lot of it has been because people are like, Travis Baldry reads it and it's so good. Like the narration is so awesome. We have to listen to them all in audio, which I'm planning on doing for most of them, I think. Um, I need to ask though, because I, I, have, I haven't 
figured this out and maybe I should just pay more attention, but was the last book that Will put out, was that the last one of, is Cradle finished? Is that it? Cradle's done. Okay, it is Cradle's finished. done. Okay. It's a completed series. And in my opinion, he stuck the landing. That's awesome. Nice. It's one of the few series I've ever read that just gets better and better as the series goes on. Yeah, because I've wow. heard the first book is like decent, but it's a little slow. And then it just it well, rockets out from there. So, I mean, the book is really ultimately about the ensemble cast, and they aren't really assembled until like three or four books in. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Three is when it you've got enough of them there where it, I mean, they're they're good. They're fun. And they're not, they don't waste time. Will is a very, yeah. very economical writer. But you don't really see the value, all of the, mm. you don't see how it all comes together and feels amazing until you get a couple books in and you have enough of the important people in the same place at the same time. Because totally. it's filled with really, really good characters. Um, but they aren't all in book one. Yeah, I mean, I would, I don't know if we have, it sucks because like we're we're so uh, locked in with um, Malazan and Throne of Glass and um, we're reading a bunch of other stuff mm -hmm. so we might not read Cradle on the podcast but I will probably be reading Cradle I really want to read it too ah man I want to do it they're super brisk they're super, I know they just, right? should we just so do not waste time also the thing I will say is that like a lot of authors I see like as the series goes on it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and there's more threads to serve and everything all of a sudden slows to a crawl yeah Will manages to avoid this man he prunes so cool. the branches and while the world expands outward and gets more complicated it just keeps moving it is just it just never bogs down it would be amazing i um so will does a thing every dragon con where he does like will con and i went there last year and we just spent a while just talking about writing and books and narrating and he's a really articulate he's he's a really great guy and he has thought very deeply about the actual craft of writing he went he has a, he has a degree in it you know he's, oh wow he, he knows how to write he, he told me some story. He went like on a writing retreat and it's like there, you know, you go out and the camping someplace, you have like all your cabins and you're supposed to like do all these exercises to facilitate your creative writing. And he just went into a thing and just wrote a book. And he came out at the end and they were like, where were you? And he's like, I wrote a book. I what wrote did a you book. Do? I did the thing we're supposed to do here. Wow. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I really am super excited to get to those because um, from I, from what everybody says, like, they're the best self-published like fantasy books out there right now. I mean, like apparently, like like Ryan Cahill, Cahill, the Bound and the Broken stuff. Mm -hmm. the, apparently, that stuff is like really gaining a lot of steam right now too. I mean, we haven't um, mentioned to you fights monsters. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, you're I reading throwing that out there. Fights with monsters. Um, <laughs> oh, but, man, fanboy. It's Love really them. cool. Like, I mean, I think that like you know, apart from the uh, the the awesome books that you're putting out, I think it's really amazing. Like, like you're a very inspiring person because you're reading all these books from independent authors um, or at least from small publish uh, small publishers um, that aren't like in the mainstream and like not it's not fourth wing it's not Sarah J Maas it's not and those books are fine but it's like I think it's really cool that by you know you narrating all these books in the quality that you do with the growing platform that you have uh, you're really uh, doing a huge service to the community because the community is so much bigger than just the most popular stuff right now. So, well, and a lot of this stuff really is popular. Like, yeah, yeah. Cradle sold a hojillion yeah, units super and popular. regularly hits number one <laughs> yeah. on, on Amazon. A lot of these books really do rank well and mm -hmm. sell continuously well. It's just, they don't have the same brand of visibility as traditionally published stuff. Totally. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of indie authors out there making really, really good money 
and with a with a high degree of control over their destinies and their careers. Um, and with a lot of insight into the economical mechanics of how these things function so that they can pivot in a way that traditional authors can't. And um, uh, they've got to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with direct-to-consumer manufacturing, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it just goes to show like how big this industry actually is. And if you're a writer out there, if you're, you know, if you're interested in putting your own stuff out for people to read, like it doesn't have to be, you know, like you go into a slush pile and just cross your fingers and, you mm. know, that it doesn't mean you're done. You know, you can put out your own stuff. It, it's it's huge. I still wouldn't do that. If I went back in time, knowing what I was going to do now, I would still release self-published. In fact, any other time, if I didn't have like already, you know, money in advance on the table to do the books, I would still do self-published because you can fail incredibly quickly or succeed incredibly quickly and then just do something else. Because like, if your book doesn't work, you don't have to wait two years to find out. You it can just burn like, out in a ah, blaze this, of glory. <laughs> you know, this didn't hit the way I wanted it to hit, but why? And then you can have data and you can look at it and you can say, oh, I think I'll Let's try this on the next one. book yeah. and then just write another book. And you don't have that unknown period. And if it is successful, you have leverage to do other things. Uh, to kind of wrap things up, you know, to what Evan was talking about just a few minutes ago, about, and you very graciously said there's a lot of good authors out there, but he said that, you know, you're choosing to read them at your level of skill in as an audiobook narrator. Like people, I would posit, will read books simply because you have narrated them. Whereas that's one, a pretty rare thing amongst audiobook reader world, in my opinion. I could, that could be my um, ignorance talking there, but I don't think so. And so I think it's pretty rare. And then one, it's rare that that exists. And two, that you do in fact do that and promote those good authors that um, maybe aren't in the common uh, mainstream. And I think that's really cool and laudable. And uh, you just keep doing what you're doing, man, because I, I love your audiobooks and I love your book. <laughs> Keep reading. I, I mean, I think Keep I think writing. everybody who reads something good wants somebody else to read it. I think anybody who reads stuff and they come across something good and they're like, man, I, I know so-and-so would like this. They want that I'm to happen. I do think that audiobooks have a limited, um, there's a limited ability that narrators have to sell books. You mm -hmm. can find the best narrator in the world and you can find plenty of things that have one rating or zero ratings. It's just an inner, you're more like, you're not going to screw it up. It's more like a trust issue of like, if I'm interested in this book and this narrator is on it, then it's going to be fine. Yeah. If I'm not interested yeah. in this book and this narrator's on it, then I'm probably not going to get it. It's just more like you're just you're just not letting down your end. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all anybody can ask for, you know. That's very humble of you, but I could see myself walking Chad, like, through a go. bookstore. Like, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I could see myself walking through a bookstore and have it be like or like reading like I'm narrated by Travis Baldry, but oh, okay. Well, like I've liked his past work. If he trusted this book to spend his time reading it. I might yeah. buy it. It's, it's, um, self start. <laughs> I appreciate it. Chad, Chad's very encouraging. Chad's very uh, the, probably the best I'm best friend. Any authors who hired about. me to narrate also appreciate that. So there you go. Um, yeah. Cool. So that's gonna do it for me. Um, we've been here for a while. Uh, everybody that's listening, make sure you go read Legends and Lattes if you have not. It is such a delightful book. It's an awesome read. Uh, you really you won't regret it at all. And then uh, no. Bookshops and Bone Dust is coming out November seventh. Is that correct? Yeah. Hey, look at me. They yep. didn't even need it written down. Uh, yeah, Bookshops and Bone Dust is coming out on November 7th. It's an amazing cover. Uh, that is actually the last question I was going to ask you. Hey, I remembered. Okay. Um, Ooh, got there. Your covers for those two books are ridiculously good. They're uh, they're amazing covers. 
Um, could you shout out the artist's name? That's Carson Low Miller. Carson Low Miller. Carson Low Miller. Mm -hmm. oh, okay, cool. He goes by yeah. Emberwick on Twitter and probably other social media. Cool. Platforms. I just wanted to link that into the description on this episode because I don't think I did it on the last one. And um, the art is, on those covers is just so magnificent. Yeah, they're fabulous. Um, would, did you go to them for that cover? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I reached out to Carson and uh, and then commissioned those. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Evan, you should pick his brain. I wrote up the entire process for that. What's I up? wrote up a whole thing on everything for that book, everything. And so there's like pages I wrote up on the entire commissioning process. If you're ever interested in that I'm sort very, of thing. Yeah, I'm very, very, very interested so, in that. Yeah. On uh, TravisBaldry.com, I've got a link. It says the A to Z to self-publishing. And it's basically the entire book process from nothing written all the way to done and numbers, including the including the uh, cover commissioning and production process. Man, that is and typesetting. Wow. What a resource. Everything. That is an insanely amazing resource. Thank you. Because like, I yeah. I want to self-publish stuff even like, um, even if I do get stuff. I mean, Lots I, of hybrid authors these days that do both. Like Lish McBride does that. She's like, here's my publisher one. Here's one for me. Yeah. You know, lots of people are doing that these days. I just want to put stuff. I just want people to read stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah. Travis, seriously, thank you so much for coming on. We know you're a busy guy. Um, it's just such a pleasure to have you here. And I can't wait for the release. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that, you know, people are already liking this book so much. And I wish you uh, nothing but the best in the future. Thanks a lot to both of you. Yeah, man. It was uh, special. I was, I read your book. I've consumed a lot of Baldry content between first, your first Book Reviews Kill uh, podcast episode, which I wasn't involved with. Uh, and then now, and Evan was like, "Yeah, he's coming back on." I was like, "Oh no, I definitely won't." Some I don't, some I don't care that much, and some I do. Yeah, I've um, done some interviews I, by myself because Shad doesn't want to be bothered. I was like, "Wow, well, I don't really know who he is." You know, it might be kind of every rude. solo interviewee now is going to think about that. I know. Yeah, it's I know. Weird. Oh, it's Chad doesn't know. Well, lots of times it's like I feel it would be disrespectful to their times. I haven't consumed any of their content or read their books, and I'm interviewing them. Like, what ground do I have to stand on? But you were officially moved in the last six months of my life from like Chad was like. Well, I don't really know who he is too. Man, I'm excited for you to come on. So thank you so much for giving us your time and um and your wisdom and words and and keeping the uh both the reading and the writing going because people are getting actual value from it, including myself. So thanks. Oh yeah. Thank you so uh, much. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really appreciate you being here. This was a pretty long one. So appreciate your patience and uh, your your attention to all of our non-detail here. So uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Travis, thank you so much. Everybody, hope you have an awesome rest of your day and of course, happy reading. Bye everybody.